Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfsted, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfsted, here with Keith Myers. Happy New Week to you, Keith. It's Super Bowl week. Seahawks are sitting at home, but uh, we're still talking football. Uh, the, the offseason never lets up with us. We're here 52 weeks a year. Yeah, there is no offseason for us. We are, um, we are into evaluating the team going forward and starting to look ahead to 2020 already. And we've gone through the offense last week and, and kind of where the team is salary cap wise and um, what you know, what, what we have at each position as far as the salary cap and how that looks uh, as far as adding more pieces, um, you know, in this coming off season. Why don't you remind, let's just get right into it because we just have tons to talk about. I mean, we, we were going to do the offense and defense last week and we just, we knew we were going to run out of time. So we just did the offense this week's the defense. Why don't you remind us kind of where we are cap wise, uh, what we currently have, what we might be able to do, what that means as far as impact uh, on uh, free agency and how the team uh, looks at that and the kind of players that they want to keep, who they might jettison, all that. Kind of, how does that all that work? Okay. So the Seahawks currently, according to overthecap.com, have um, effective cap space of $53.4 million. Um, they have more than that, but they, you know, in terms of keeping um, a pool for their draft picks to sign, and uh, you have to have money set aside for the practice squad and players on injured reserve and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so they they have fifty three million fifty three. That's that's spending money. They can go out and spend every dime of that fifty four point four million um, and be okay. Uh, it is the, or sorry, fifty three point four million. Um, that is something that they can go out and use um, because the, the other part, and they have a, they have uh, a little over sixty million in true cap space. Okay, because that's um, the number I've kind of read and seen. Yeah. But the rent, some of that is set aside for draft picks and and other stuff. Um, but as far as usable uh, cap space, they have fifty three. Now, if they wanted to. If they got into a point where they signed a couple of really big names and 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 suddenly they got themselves, um, you can actually for the off season um, go above with that that quote unquote effective cap. But you just know that at some point during training camp or um, uh, when, you know when they when the cut cut downs are made uh, at the end of training camp before week one, you have to get under that effective cap number. Um, now. When you go over that effective cap number, you still can't go over the true cap spending. But you, because um, they only count the, the the fifty one top fifty one contracts. So, uh, so you you can if your top fifty one contracts are under the true cap, then you're fine. But you just know that if you're right up against the true cap, you still have to cut before the season starts because you've got to get all fifty three and the practice squad and players on IR um, all under. Uh, all under the cap, so that's why that's why the, the difference between the effective cap and the true cap uh, is there. And basically, it's just like 
the the effective cap is, is spending money. Go go spend it, um, and just kind of leave that other cushion there because you're going to need it anyway. And that other cushion could be also expanded because the team always has a little flexibility when it comes to players that don't have guaranteed money. Um, they have non-guaranteed contracts, always have a little bit of wiggle room there as far as being able to release those players, renegotiate contracts, all that kind of stuff to give them a little bit more spending money. Yep. And so when we go through and um, and we look, I mean, there's some really easy ones uh, that we could see. Um, you know, if they were to move on from Justin Britt, they save $8.75 million in cap room. So that means that, that if they move on from Justin Britt, who's only got one year left in his deal and is coming off a major injury, uh, they could add almost $9 million, eight, eight and three quarter million to that uh, 53.4 that they've already got as far as spending money. And just to give you guys an idea, somebody like uh, Al Woods we picked up last year. We picked up Al Woods for like two and a half million bucks on a contract. So we can get yeah. get legit good players in here for relatively inexpensive to fill some 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 holes, including maybe even another center. I mean, you could pick up a, a journeyman center out there, and if Justin Britt doesn't agree to renegotiate his deal or whatever, there's always guys out there for you know three to five six million dollars that you could have in any given year that could come in and be serviceable for you. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and you look down the list, and there's some other ones. KJ Wright uh, for seven and a half million. That would be a very unpopular move, but definitely possible given given last year and what he did. Um, Dwayne Brown, who was hurt for most of last year, would be eight point seven five million. That's a possibility. That would again be an unpopular move, to, to, just because he's your your Pro Bowl left tackle. Um, but he was hurt most of the year, uh, and so even though he played for large chunks of it, um, his play level was down because he was dealing with knee and bicep injuries the whole time. So you know there might be some consideration there. I honestly don't think um, either of those guys are likely to be looked at uh, in that uh, they might be asked to take a pay cut just to see if they will. Um, and then the other one is Ed Dixon at 3.25. Uh, um, and given that he was on the active roster for all of 24 hours uh, last year, uh, coming off the pup list, he lasted for one practice and then landed on injured reserve. There's a very, very good chance he's done in Seattle. And so they would add that. So um yeah, so they have the fifty three point four million plus whatever they add to, um, and you know guys like uh, Justin Britt and and uh, Ed Dixon will only give them more spending room, more yeah. ability to go out and get more players. So in other words, we've just got a ton of flexibility. I mean, really, mm-hmm. we've got enough money to uh, resign a guy like Clowney. We'll talk about Clowney today. We've got enough money to redo uh, Jerron Reed if we wanted to. Um, we've got enough money to basically retain the guys that we want to that are free agents, our own free agents, and go out and get some help for this team. And mm-hmm. we've, we're going to need a lot of help. I mean, we can talk about the defense, um, and, and that's why we're here today. Uh, something to keep in mind, too. Free agency begins March 18th. The uh, the tamper pre-negotiation, pre-free agency period begins on March 16th. So those are some times to kind of think about in your head as we're talking um, Keith, got a trivia question for you. What Uh-oh. What is the difference between Seattle being in the Super Bowl this weekend and being at home? 
Um, three inches. <laughs> That's pretty close. That's a good answer, actually. The num it's it's the number twenty. And and what that means is the San Francisco 49ers had 48 sacks this year, and the Seahawks had 28. That's the difference between Seattle being in the Super Bowl and the San Francisco 49ers being in the Super Bowl. So very, very related. They had 48. The Seahawks had 28. The Seahawks gave up yes. 48 sacks Isn't that interesting? this year. Yeah. Given, so uh, we'll tell you, I mean, that that is... Right, that that right there, the fact that they gave up twenty more sacks than they got is a big reason why they're at home. The reason why I said three inches was because that was what they lost to the 49ers by yes, in right. uh, week seventeen. Yeah. If they if they get that extra three inches and get into the end zone, win that game, get home field, uh you know, so they're playing at home instead of playing on the road against the Packers. I believe that, you know, they may not have made it to the Super Bowl, but they had a much better chance and uh, it would have been fun to watch and uh, see them get a chance to go for it. So, um, yes. For, so for me, Keith, the, the, the big number was that 20. So that ratio right mm -hmm. there that you talked about, both on offense and defense and the point differential the Seahawks uh, on offense uh, scored 25.3 points on average per game, but gave up 24.9. So that difference of 0.4 was what uh, would normally get you like between eight and nine wins. And the Seahawks went and got mm -hmm. 11. Thank you, Russell Wilson. Um, but on any given year, an average team would get eight or nine wins with that point differential. So to me, those are the two biggest things that we could take a look at the offseason and improve upon. Improve upon our point differential and improve upon the sack ratio, uh, both on offense and defense. You just move that around whatever way you want to turn that dial. You know, the offense takes less sacks, defense gets more sacks, et cetera. You, t you take a look at those two things. That's the greatest way that we can improve the team. And to me, that points mostly to the defensive side of the ball. Um and that's what we're talking about today. And that's kind of why I wanted to kind of lead in with that. Um, so point, point 0.4 uh, points per game uh, as a positive point differential over 16 games is, um, that's not good, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's what, eight points. Six, it's six, is it eight? Yeah, well, seven, you know, six yeah. to eight points. Yeah. Um, so, so here's the thing is I did, I did a whole bunch of, of research on this uh, years ago, and it's been fairly stable. Um, Granted, it was years ago when I did it, um, so the last like uh, five or six years, data isn't in there. But the previous 15 years all was, and it's been fairly stable over that period of time, that 13 points is a win. So if you are exactly even, you're, you should get uh, eight wins. And if you are uh, plus 13, you would get, uh, you know, win, get nine, nine wins. wins if you're plus plus 26 should get you 10 wins. And um, of course there's diminishing returns. Yeah. Um, right. Once you get, once you get to, you know, above 10, once you get to 11, uh, the, the slope of the line uh, levels out. And so it, it becomes a much bigger gap in order to get that 12 and the 13th. Um, but it, one, a really high uh, correlation coefficients for the math geeks out there. And two, it was a stable year to year. It was 13 points was the number. And so I published all of that. And then I actually had the guys from, 
uh, football outsiders come and ask me about my methods and all that kind of stuff because they wow. ended up going back and redoing my work just to verify it, and they got exactly the same number. Um, so that was one of those things where you know, thirteen points is a win, right? Interesting. The Keith. Seahawks. The Seahawks. The Seahawks. Um, I think was was it plus eight. Uh, or plus seven for this season. Now, why um, why isn't it less than thirteen? I mean, and why wouldn't because you can win with less than thirteen. So why does thirteen the magic number for a single win? Um. So what that what that okay. So what that means is that um, if you that that thirteen that that thirteen points is a point differential. Uh, it means that um, if you look. If you look at it, what 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 we do is if you look at the at, at the teams and with the, comparing their point differential to their uh, win total, right? That was that's the slope of the line, um, and and so it at if you uh, thirteen points became a win because that's the slope of the line um, with a really high correlational coefficient, like it was point eight two or something like that. I mean that's really high if you know your stats. So. Um, it was uh, fairly. It, it was a really high correlation, right? That that's just the number. And I, it's, it's, as far as on that's the field, very interesting. At that, I, I'm not going to give you that. It, what was interesting to me when I came up with that was that it was less than 16, because that was my guess going in. Is that 16 was going to be the number because there's 16 games in a year, and so if you are on average one point better in every game, then that that makes um, total sense. That it, that it would be, and it was less than that. It was thirteen, and so I thought that was a little weird. But um, it was so consistent from year to year to year to year, uh, and the correlation coefficients were so high. I was like, "Roll with it." Um, the CX were half of that, right? There were seven, um, which means which comes out to be eight and a half wins. Um, they were at eleven. The Seahawks in my data set would have been a massive outlier. Uh, being that many more wins above what we call this win, the win loss predictions based off um, uh, point differential is called a, a Pythagorean projection, right? Named after Pythagoras, and it's because there's triangles involved and all of that. So for them to be uh, two and a half games above their Pythagorean projection would have put them. Uh, in, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's two standard deviations above, uh, there. So we're, you're talking like, you know, the 95th or the 90, if I do this right. Yeah. The 95th percentile, um, that's how rare it is. I mean, it's very, very rare that a team would miss their, their projected by that much. And the CX did now, as you said, when you introduced all this, and I'm sorry that I'm going off on a random, random, uh, a, a random math thing, which I'm sure everyone is turning off their, their podcast app right now, so I'll, I'll make this short. Uh, um, but it's Russell, this is Russell Wilson. This is exactly what Russell Wilson does. Yes. In his ability to get the most out of uh, a limited talent pool around him, and even though they were they win these close games that they probably shouldn't win, he just pulls these wins out of his hat for no reason other than his own talent. And it, I mean, this is a guy that's that's going to do that for you. And uh, if the Seahawks didn't have Russell Wilson, if they had anybody else, league anybody average else quarterback, in the league, right? 
or or really just anyone else in the league except for maybe uh, Patrick Mahomes. This was a this was a, a five hundred team. Yeah, they didn't. I think the, I said that last playoffs, week too. You know, and you just put math behind it. So that's awesome. You know, here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> I'll toot my own horn. I actually like said something at the beginning of the show that uh, that is actually true, which is that uh, the point point differential is a really key important factor in winning and losing and uh, among other things, but that's a really big thing, you know, and I thought too, the sack numbers would, would be interesting too, because we're going to talk about defense today, but the, the point differential gives you an opportunity. You either have to score more points or your defense has to allow less. And to me, when you've got a top five offense and you've got a, let's see the, the, the points, the offense was ranked ninth in the NFL in scoring. And the defense was ranked 20th in scoring. So to me, just by looking at that, the defense has more of an opportunity to improve. And uh, especially when you look at uh, who we've got and the opportunities with the salary cap that we talked about. And we're going to go into the draft with eight eight picks, it looks like, probably, uh, instead of nine. I think I talked about nine originally, but I think there's... Now eight in play. Uh, there's a lot of uh, capital improvement possible. So through the free agency and through the draft, I think most of that's going to end up going to the defense. That's just my opinion, but that's the way I see it. And we can talk about that today. Um, just overall, though, Keith, in, in summary, before we kind of get started with individual players and position groups and so forth, how do you see that? Where do you see the improvement possibility coming in, in 2020 for this team? Well, there's a lot um, because okay, people are going to look at, at at eleven wins and a playoff win and and really actually you know uh, being co- some coaching decisions away from two playoff wins um, and say how are you going to improve? I mean that that's already a good team, but I look at this and I go okay, sacks that would be a great uh, uh, an easy one. Just get figure out how to pressure the quarterback once in a while. Um, being better coverage out of your linebackers or or more importantly, going to the nickel more often. Um, getting some team speed out there, especially at linebacker, That's where huge. Um, KJ Wright, KJ Wright was is starting to show. You know, he was never never an elite speed guy. Great player, but never an elite speed guy. Is is, is showing that he's slower. Um, you know, you go with uh, just getting. Quandre digs on the field for more than five games and having, having him be the guy at the back end would be just huge for this team because the defense was significantly better in the games that he played than in the games that he didn't. So uh, that would be big. Uh, getting some better coverage out of the nickel corner spot, uh, which, you know, with most of the, most of the season being Jamar Taylor, that's pretty easy to do. Uh, getting more out of uh, Trey flowers on, one of the corner spots that is something that I believe that we should be able to expect. There's a lot of things that they can do. And I'm just talking so far. I've only mentioned the defense, which is the theme of today's show. If you want to get better on offense, stop giving up so many sacks, get some offensive linemen who aren't terrible um, in there They fix your right tackle and your left guard spots, uh, get a center. Um, if not Justin Britt, because he was hurt for most of the year, get a center who doesn't get bull rushed into uh, Russell Wilson's lap on every play. Um, these aren't major like 
These aren't like, oh, it's really hard to get another win. It's really hard to find an upgrade. No, these are things that aren't that difficult to go find an upgrade when you've got $54 million and nine draft picks um, to go spend. And, and you know, they this is a team that should make a fairly significant improvement in overall talent from this year to next year to the point where, yeah, their point differential is going to go up. Their win expectations. Patients will go up and then you have still have Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. So he's still going to win you some games that you shouldn't win. He's still going to keep you in games that you probably aren't good enough to, or didn't play good enough to, to be in um, because he's going to do that for you. And so you're going to end up with uh, more, more wins or just in all, just a better team and a team that's got a larger margin of error than they had this year. Cause they had nothing for a margin of error in most of these games. Um, from all the different factors. So you can put all those things together and you have a chance to uh, have a significantly better team over a team that won 11 games. And it's not like they have to go get, you know, a marquee player. They don't have to go trade for this year's version of Clowney or, you know, go sign, you know, some super high priced free agent to do it. These things that we're talking about, team speed on defense and blocking on the offensive line, these aren't things that are going to break the bank um, in order for them to get there. Wow. I'm glad I pushed the record button because, because that was, (laughs) that was pretty amazing. I think in fact, what I'll do is I'll just cut that segment right there and post it at the end of the show too. And that way you can kind of tie everything up as well. Um, yeah, if I didn't know any better, I would, I would say that you probably followed the Seahawks pretty, pretty intently to come up with all that. So you, you think just a little bit, just, just a little bit. That summed it up pretty well. You know, it's like, it's, it is team speed. It's, it is about creating the, the, the point differential and keeping the turnover, uh, ratio up and all the things that you talked about, the, the, the sacks and the pressures and the individual player performances and all that stuff. So let's get into it. Uh, let's start with the defensive line, Keith. Let's go just right down the line. Let's start at the top, though, with Jadavian Clowney because he's the biggest guy, the biggest name that we're dealing with in free agent. Team needs to decide. Keep him. Let him go. Pay him. Don't pay him. Uh, it's going to be costly though. Uh, Clowney had 31 tackles and three sacks, but that didn't tell the tale at all with this guy. He impacted the game a lot, but he faced some serious injury. He he was injured in that 49er game at the 49ers, ended up having uh, the core injury. The sports hernia affected him the rest of the way. In fact, I could easily correlate, uh, the, the, the Clowney injury, and missing it some time, missing some games with the, the, the turning of the team. At that point, after that game and after the game against, um, what was it, the, uh, the, the Eagles at the, the Eagles, the very first game. After that game, we were 10-2. and two. And then we began kind of our, our slow slide uh, out of that, lost our uh, three out of the last four games and kind of backed into the playoffs, even at 11-5. and five, And it it just didn't seem to be as formidable as a, of a defense and as a team uh, as it was at that point in the season. So Clowney, Keith, what do we do with Clowney? What do you think the team's going to do? Where do you think he's going to be salary-wise if it works out? Well, I will say that Clowney is... Um, 
he is a much better player than people who just look at stat sheets will think. Because his three and a half sacks this year do not tell the story of the impact that he had when he was out there. The guy lives in the backfield, whether it's pressuring the quarterback or interfering with the run game. He is a disruptor, a guy that gets into the backfield, a guy that matters, um, whether it shows up on the stat sheet or not. Um, what he does matters. The Seahawks did not have another guy like him on defense last year. Um, and that, or and I that hurt say, him. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say on defense. I'm saying, I should say on the defensive line. Because Bobby Wagner is that guy, and Shaq Griffin was that well, guy. Well, he didn't and have any help. Quadrant he didn't have any help as far as yeah. a guy opposite him that could take some pressure off him, some double teams off him. Or a guy in him. the middle. Or, right. Or a guy in the middle that well, could take and, and Reed was there, but Reed yeah. you know, had a six-game uh, suspension. Um, he's a free agent as well this year. Second, uh, 2016 yeah. second round overall uh, pick, 49 overall. 27 tackles yeah. and three sacks for Jerron Reed this year. Pro Football Focus had him uh, give him a grade of 60.4 overall That's in the year, bad. which is bad. And uh, in mm-hmm. fact, Ansa, you, we all talk about Ansa being bad this year, and he was. Had a grade of 59.0. So right there with mm-hmm. Reed, um, and you can point to that directly having an effect on how the team performed, not only against the run, but getting to the quarterback being disruptive in the pocket and so forth. So anyway, back to Clowney. What do you think? Um, I think it's going to take around what Frank Clark got a year ago. Um, so a bunch of guaranteed money, a big signing bonus, and ultimately what will show up is, um, you know, it'll look like, Frank Clark uh, got five-year, $105.5 million deal with $65.5 million guaranteed. Yep. So it's right at $20 million uh, per year AYP. You know, a bunch of that will be backloaded into the fifth year of the deal. Um, so it's really a four-year deal for about 75000 So it's a little under... Um, a little under 20, but a lot of it guaranteed up in the first three years of the deal. And that is... Um, that's probably what it's going to take to to bring in Connie. Now, the thing, do you do you do that? I think you kind of have to just because of the the lack of talent. Uh, you cannot lose a player of that caliber and not get worse. Um, I would be interested in maybe going and getting a guy like Dante Fowler, who's younger and has doesn't have the injury history and is more durable. Um, if you can do it for similar money. Uh, because, uh, you know, I mean, Clowney's not old at 28, but he is um, certainly not going to yeah, be... Yeah, but Clowney and Fowler play different positions. True, but they have similar impact. And so we're talking about adding an elite player to the defensive line. I would do both. Oh, I. they have the money to do both. They absolutely can. I would do you both. You know how much uh, cap space we had last year? So cap space we had last year was $33 million heading into free agency. This year we have 53 So you just paid Clowney 20 of that. We're back to where we started last year. I think that still gives us an opportunity to pay, to pay Fowler. I don't think he's, Fowler's going to make 20 I think Fowler's probably going to be in the 17 range. Um, but, yeah, I think you, you go out and you do both those deals and – I mean, you throw everything you can at this thing. I think you maybe even you, you bring a guy like Al Woods back. We talked briefly about him before as being a guy you could probably get in on a one-year deal again or maybe even a two-year contract for $3 million a, a piece or something like that. Um, 
or or you go get a younger version of Al Woods. And you mentioned Brian Monet uh, last mm-hmm. week as a as a possibility. I don't know. I mean, it, it's a really important year. I mean, our window is wide open. I think you go solve that problem I, instead of counting on Monet to be the guy. I think you go get the guy that you know is going to have the, the the serious impact this year to pair with Clowney and a guy like Fowler. And if it's not a guy like Fowler, um, you know, you got to go find a guy that's that's going to be able to do it like Robert Quinn. I know, you know, Dallas is probably not going to let him go, but a Shaq Barrett or a Ogba or trade for Miller or Shaq Lawson or somebody. The team needs to go get somebody to pair with Clowney. But I agree, you got to keep Clowney because Clowney is the guy that really you want to you want to solidify your defense with on that front mm-hmm. line and he's that guy i mean he's the guy um it's not his fault that the that the the rest of the defensive line was as poor as it was you know it was as good as it was because of Clowney. you know otherwise it would have been completely abysmal without him yeah so let's um the other player that's that's the other free agent there um uh, that we've already mentioned is john reed and he's a guy who's coming off 10 and a half sacks in in um 2018 looked like he was going to go get a big, um, you know, a big payday, got suspended, missed six games, came back and was really ineffective. It wasn't just that he only had two sacks um, uh, in the remaining games and 30 some tackles. It was that he got pushed out of position a lot in the run. He just didn't have the anchor that he had had the year before, didn't have the explosiveness into the gaps that he'd had the year before. this was this was an off year, um, and it's really unfortunate for him because that means that this big cap, this big payday that he's thinking yeah. that he's going to get probably isn't going to be there because teams are going to look at his uh, twenty eighteen year and go, "That's a one year." Well, they're going to go, "Well, that was because of Frank Clark." Yeah, they're, they're, right. 20, 2017 wasn't like that. 2016 wasn't like that. 2020 wasn't like that. Or sorry, 2019 wasn't like that. Only 2018. And that was also the year that Frank Clark exploded um, as the, you know, a, as a, a premier player on the defensive line. So they're going to look at that. Well, and go, Clowney hmm, had yeah. a similar impact on the run game and so forth. You would have thought Jerron Reed could have taken advantage of those double teams and so forth and got single coverage in the middle and been able to do some things. And he didn't. Um, yeah. And that's a real big red flag for the team. Now, uh, as far as getting Reed a multi-year contract with the Seahawks, unless it comes in really low, I think Seattle takes a punt at that on a one-year mm-hmm. deal at like six to seven million dollars, maybe slightly more. Just depends on the market. I would bring Reed back on a one-year deal. Now, could Reed go somewhere else and maybe get a two-year deal with more guaranteed money that Seattle might be willing to pay him? Yeah, maybe. So I'm thinking it's 50-50 that Reed comes back. Yeah, I think I mean, oh, he's going to go out and test the market. And the Seahawks are going to let him test the market. But they're also going to um, have his agents here and be like, look, go test the market. See what you get. Um, we are here. We will not be going anywhere. Um, come back to us. And if he goes out and finds a team that's willing to pay him the $15 million a year that he wants. And I think there's a, and I think there's a chance that there might be because young guys and he's got, you know, he came in in second round um, from Alabama. Uh, He he had 10 and a half sacks just last year. Another team is going to look at that and go, it's really difficult to find young disruptive defensive tackle talent that could get to the, passer 
we're going to take a chance on Reed because we can surround him with better talent than Seattle had. So why wouldn't we pay Reed, you know, $8 million a year on a three-year deal? I, I think there might be a team out there. Okay, so that, you're talking $8 million a year on a three-year deal. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking $15 million a year on a three-year deal. Yeah, I don't think that's, that's out Reed, there for him. No, and I don't either, but that's what Reed wants. And a year ago, coming out off of his great year, where he was like, I deserve top money. I'm within the top three players in my position. I mean, he was tweeting about that. I, I, um, I know he was. He's, He's looking for, you know, $15 million a year. Yeah, He's I just not don't see get that. That's, that's not out there for him, I don't think. So if he goes out looking for that and can't find it, is he willing to come back to Seattle for on a one-year deal for $8 million and be like, look, we'll pay $8 million this year, bet on yourself, get yourself ready, come out, have a massive 2020 like you did in 2018, and then go get your money. Knowing that Seattle's going to throw a ton of money and resources at the defensive line this year. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because they're going to upgrade. They're and so he knows he's going to be surrounded by better players. Yeah. So well, is he willing to do that? Sure. Now, if he goes out and finds the market completely dry and comes back and Seattle can get him on a three-year, $24 million uh, year deal, where it's $8 million a year for three years, he'd do that in a second. Uh, because yeah, he's young and he's durable and he's talented and he's had, you know, he, he did have that one great year and they've had years where they were asking him not to be disruptive, not to be as disruptive, but to eat blocks and he did that fine. Um, and then well, let me you know, ask you this: year, based on so, you know uh, what the, what the team did and what Hurt was doing with the defensive line and what um, mm-hmm. what. Uh, Ken Norton was trying to do overall. Do you think that they went back to that situation with Reed this year and just had him stand in place and absorb blocks and take on double teams and just not it penetrate? It didn't look like it. It didn't look like it. It looked like he was trying to penetrate and just getting pushed um, sideways and not. So he wasn't. So you getting think that big? You think that suspension at the beginning of the year just really threw him off? I think so. I think he was not. Um, he just physically didn't look like the same guy. He did not look like the his that which is bizarre him, considering it's what a made contract him really year. good. What made him really good a year ago was, you know, he's not like Michael Bennett where his his first step is like just insanely fast and no one can keep up with them. But it was still relatively quick, and you compared that or you 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 paired that with his hand usage and his ability to to get this uh, the the blocker's hands off of him and get into the body of a player where he can get through the gap. And he was really effective. And this year, what I saw when he was trying to do that is his hands and stuff were there, but his, his feet weren't, he wasn't as quick. And so, yeah, he'd get the, 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 uh, the, the guard's hands off of him, but he couldn't use that and get in between uh, into the gap between the guard and the tackle or between the guard and the center um, from that window. They would, he, he would, be a half step behind and they'd be able to reestablish, uh, you know, their, their punch and keep him, uh, at bay. And it was, it was a, it was like you were watching a different player. It was more like we were watching Puna Ford, who's a nose tackle, whose job is to eat blocks and, and to push people around. than when we were watching, watching Jerron Reed, whose job it was to get in between the garden center or the garden, the tackle and be disruptive. Um, 
And well, it's interesting to me too that you look at so, a player like Quentin Jefferson, who's undersized compared to Reed. I mean, Reed's three hundred and ten pounds. Quentin Jefferson's two hundred ninety-five pounds, maybe at this point. Um, but Quentin Jefferson had probably a better year overall than Jaron Reed did, 26 tackles, three mm-hmm. and a half sacks, but he just looked better doing it. More disruption mm-hmm. overall, not just the sacks, but just more disruption of the pocket and so forth for Jefferson over Reed. And they don't even play the same position. You know, Reed's doing that five tech thing and kind of overall being all over the place um, on the end, lining up on the end, lining up inside and so forth. And Reed was just kind of in the, sitting in the middle most of the time. So, yeah, Reed know. was ex- Reed was almost exclusively a three tech um, yes. this year. Uh, they did not have him in at the nose tackle, which they did his first two years in the league uh, and a little bit last year, uh, really, because Puna Ford has kind of nailed that down as, as the starter. And Al Woods looked good there, too, at the, at the yeah. beginning of the year. So that gave them some ro- rotational ability there. And then when Al Woods got suspended, it was uh, Monet who came in and, and played that role That's right. uh, as the reserve nose tackle. Um, the three tech really fits Jaron Reed's talents, and I think that's where. where what do you okay? So what do you, let's let's move on. But before we do, what do you think? What what's going to happen with Reed? And and should we want Reed? Do we need Reed in this defense? Considering how poor we were overall, was he part of the problem? He was part of the problem, but I think that we didn't get a good feel for who he was this year because of that suspension. Um, I. Don't think he may ever live up to his 2018 production, but I think he was he is better going forward than he was in 2019. I would pay him. I would if he can if you if you would take a, a three year 24 million dollar deal. I do that now. So you have Puna Ford, you've got Jerron Reed, and then you go get go draft your next disruptive interior lineman. Um, and so you have three guys there. Um, that's what I would go do. Um, rather than having an Al Woods, who's a nice veteran piece, who's a run stuffer but not disruptive, go draft a young, hungry guy. You still got to have your Al Woods or somebody like Al Woods. Um, what about Quentin Jefferson, though? Like, is that the, the the future guy that could be part of that situation? To me, I don't know how much you invest in the same defensive line that was so bad for you in 2019 Mm -hmm. so how many of these guys do you actually keep and how many of these guys do you actually let go and try to see if you can upgrade quentin jefferson was never in the plan he was a guy they brought back as a draft he was a fifth round pick in 2016 you're right but they cut him he went to san francisco for a year uh then came back or arizona he went to arizona for a year that's right um and then and then came back um he when he when he came back he wasn't in the plan he was a draft hedge in case the other young guys didn't live up to the promise well guess what L.J. Collier got hurt and wasn't available so Quentin Jefferson made the team and yeah he had a bit of an impact but he was never in the plan as being the guy and so uh, it really like you look at that and you go I'm not I'm not changing my plan if he wants to come back on oh you know three and a half million dollars a year or whatever which is about what he made last year sure but i'm not paying him more to come in and be a rotational guy that plays occasionally and has an impact on three games um because he was huge in the opener he had two sacks in the opener he had one and a half sacks the other 15 games 
he was not a major player on the defense. I'm not paying for that. Um, and uh, but like I said, he was never in the plan. Yeah, he might generate enough interest out there in free agency where he might be gone. You know, he's got enough of of a quality tape out there uh, where other teams might might look at him and give him a couple a two year deal or something. Um, yeah, but he's a rotate. He's a rotational piece. He's not a starter. He's not a guy that you bring in placing him at a, in a starting position and go, you know, go yeah, win. No, games I agree. He's, he's a replace. He's a replaceable piece. In fact, an upgradable piece. Um, yeah. We didn't talk about Punafor too much, but Punafor did. Okay. Uh, yeah. I thought he didn't. I, it's hard because it's hard to evaluate some of these guys on this team because the, the overall line play was poor. You don't know exactly where that came from, but I think Punafor probably wasn't one of those problems. Um, mm-hmm. Naz Jones again, got hurt, never showed up. Uh, DeMarcus Christmas. He's kind of a tweener guy. He's six, four, but he's only 300 pounds, but he runs a five ten forty. So he's slow yeah. and he's undersized. And so he's going to have to pick one. Is he a penetrating <laughs> defensive tackle or is he a run stuffer? I think the team was leaning on trying to have him be a run stuffer, which means he's probably gonna have to put on some weight and get even slower. So I don't know what that means for him. <laughs> Um, he was a, this was a sixth round pick who was hurt and didn't, I never understood never that pick from anything. the very beginning. I just, I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I I'm, I'm not. Sold well, on, we're certainly not counting on, on him to make a, make an impact. Um, the team swung and missed badly with, uh, Ziggy Ansah. Uh, we thought we had yeah. an okay deal late in free agency last year. I think his deal came in sometime in April after, after the majority of the big deals were done in the NFL, uh, Seattle was one of the few remaining teams with cap space, uh, enough cap space to be able to sign on. So they did so for a one year deal. It's like $8 million, something like that. Eight and a half million dollars. And, uh, Ansa, you know, <laughs> he was the fifth overall pick in 2013. I mean, this guy came in with some serious cred, uh, six, five, two seventy five, ran a four, six, three forty. He looked like he was running a 5040 out there this year. Didn't have any speed, didn't have any explosiveness, didn't have any strength, didn't have anything. I mean, ended the yeah. year with eight with 18 tackles and and a couple sacks of which or two and a half sacks, of which two of those sacks were just at the end of games when the time was running out and quarterbacks were scrambling for their lives and he got a couple sacks. I mean, literally made no real impact on any game. I mean, he had a couple of forced fumbles. I'll hand him that. But he didn't provide enough uh, in his games to be able to take away any double teams from Clowney. He didn't give us any any penetration on that side away from Clowney. So everyone on that line, I think, struggled because of that. And the team decided to stick with Ansa when he was available throughout the entire year, we didn't try to upgrade that position or give any, anybody else an opportunity over there, which I thought was just, well, you know, tough. It was tough because, you, because his, his, his snaps went down. They, they brought in, um, uh, uh, Shaquem Griffin, uh, the, the, the second Griffin brother and gave a bunch of his like 14, 15 snaps, um, to him. And those, those snaps that he got came from, uh, Ansa. He was the guy that lost snaps uh, in order to get um, to get team in there. Yeah, and, but Griffin uh, that, had that was one sack move. on the year as well, and only like uh, eight tackles. So, True, you know, that position he, really suffered. I'm just saying. 
he was okay. So with Griffin, yeah, he only had one sack and eight tackles, but he wasn't in there um, in running plays, which is where you, your defensive ends actually get a lot of tackles because they're the guys setting the edge and they 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 get to make. He wasn't in there for those plays. He was only in there on third and long. Um, situations where he could get up, get up and rush the passer, and he was disruptive. I he will say that he was disruptive. Spots. He was a bright spot. He's got a promising opportunity, but I think he definitely mm-hmm. needs to take it to the next level. Oh yeah, um, but he is as a defensive lineman, which he's not really. He's he's a a, a linebacker, but as a he came on to be a pass rusher. Um, you know, as a defensive lineman, he is a third down, third and long specialist he's never going to be an every down player at that position now if he wants to go become a linebacker a strong side linebacker weak side linebacker um he can fight, work his way into an every down um you know player at that but as a defensive lineman you know he's 225 pounds he's not a defensive lineman um but he can be a situational and he pressure. is part of the speed equation that we do need to improve upon in this Absolutely. this next year so uh, to finish up the defensive line, a couple, uh, Seattle spent a couple of high draft picks in the last two years on a couple of players. One looks like it's improving and looks like it'll probably work out. The other one had no impact whatsoever. Uh, Rasheem Green led the team in sacks this year with four, uh, 27 mm-hmm. tackles to go with that. But he had an impact. I mean, it looked like he was having an impact when he was in there disrupting uh, he was a good tackler. Looks like one of the best run-stopping defensive ends on the team next to Clowney. Um, really excited about Rasheem Green and then Collier, uh, the first-round pick, uh, 28 overall in 2019. Just didn't get started at all. Um, so what do yeah. you think of Rasheem Green, Keith? I really I like Rasheem Green's game this year. I mean, I know the, the stats aren't overwhelming, uh, but when I watch him play, he was able to get those stats while being very disciplined defensively, um, you know, holding his gap and, and there he wasn't exploding, uh, getting to the court, trying to get to the quarterback on running plays and then giving up a big hole. He was being very disciplined, playing his reads as you're supposed to, um, and, you know, holding his gap, making sure that it's not, not a run play of any kind, and then trying to get to the quarterback. And he was able to get uh, four sacks, despite you know playing in a very disciplined way like that um give him more opportunities give him more opportunities when he knows he can go attack the quarterback i think you're going to see more more stats uh from him overall i I was i I really like what i saw from green this year especially after last year being so underwhelming as for collier collier was he this was a massive disappointment because i think given his draft position and also just given some of his tape and some of the things to see upset about him um, there was a, this expectation that he was going to have an impact, maybe not the massive impact. I thought he was going to be able to come in wanted. and at least stop the run. Yeah. But what he did was he came in, got hurt, missed almost all of training camp, missed a big portion of the season, and then just never really got going. Um, when he did finally get in and become part of the rotation at midseason, you could see him trying to bull rush on every play because he doesn't have the speed and explosiveness to get around on the outside. and. Sometimes it worked. Most of the time it didn't. Um, he didn't really have the the hand usage and, and uh, things that's necessary to make that bull rush work well, where you can get in on the body of the guard. Um, and so he was, he struggled. And I think that's, that's, that's very safe to say that he struggled. I think he's a guy that you can, you can get better. Um, 
from him. Um, no, he just needs coaching. I think the he best thing about it. his year was he got very little wear and tear. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's going to be able to come back next year fresh, uh, motivated, hopefully, and and mm-hmm. let's see what we have. I mean, I'm certainly not going to write off that pick. It's way too early no. for that. But you do yeah. want to see him uh, take major steps, major development, similar to the increase in development that Rasheem Green had uh, year one to year two. You want to see that with Collier. Mm-hmm. Find out what we've got. I mean, he's definitely a rotation piece. He's on our team. He's cheap. We need to be able to, to put, plug him in there and see what he can do. He's young. He's cheap. He's talented. Um, he's not going anywhere. He's going to make, he's going to, you know, make the, probably make the roster um, just based on those things, if nothing else. Um, so yeah, you go with it. You see what you've got, but going into next year, near season, I'm not counting on that's him. exactly right. I I am not basing the 2020 defense or yeah, the 2020 defense on whether or not I get a considerable contribution out of LJ Collier. No, I am going and finding a position, a guy that can play that position and, and adding him to the defense. Now, if that's um, Rasheem green, because we believe that he showed enough to do that. Fine. I'm still adding a backup. Um, and then if Collier wins the playing time and, and shows that he deserves to be out on the field, great. Um, I am giving him every opportunity to do that, but I'm not counting perfect. on that until I see it. That's a perfect way to explain it. So let's go to the linebackers. Um, okay. The linebackers are pretty straightforward for the most part. Wagner had a, a terrific year, 159 tackles. People say that they saw him slow down a little bit or was susceptible to injury and so forth. Guy played a ton. Um, mm-hmm. Three sacks. He had that contract extension uh, in the offseason. He's an all pro. I mean, let's just, I mean, he just is. So, uh, and he's going to be back. KJ Wright, that's the question mark along with Kendricks. Um, KJ Wright had 132 tackles, three interceptions, 11 pass defense, all career highs on a year Mm -hmm. that he came back where he barely played in 2018 and, and ended up settling uh, back with the Seahawks after free agency uh, didn't go his way, came back on a two year deal and so now the question becomes, when we went into this season, we looked at it as kind of a one-year deal because there were very little guaranteed money on the second year of the contract, which is true. So K.J. Wright has a cap savings of $7.5 million with $2.5 million of dead money, uh, so $10 million overall, um, but $7.5 million savings if we cut K.J. Wright. But here's a guy that came back and played his lights out in 2019 and really based on that deserves to be paid that contract money in 2020 does the team continue to invest in right as the weak side linebacker for the seattle seahawks or does the team move on and and, and develop that spot either with barton or somebody else that, that they decide to bring in that's younger and have team control for a longer period of time moving on from kj Wright would be very unpopular with fans. This is a guy who, uh, I mean, he's been there. He's been that guy. Wagner gets a lot of the headlines and the all pro votes and the pro bowl votes and whatever, but KJ Wright has been on every fan's uh, most underrated player 
in the league list. Um, pretty much since he came into the league, he's so good at what he does and his ability to especially sniff out the screen and, and make plays on that because he's so smart. Um, now, this year, he had career stats in the categories he listed, but when I watched, watched him, he looked slow. I mean, it's pretty clear his knee's been giving him trouble. He doesn't have the speed he used to have, and he was never the fastest guy. Um, and he was long. About the team speed, He's always been long. Yeah. 6'4", with long arms. Yep. So you have, uh, the, the, you know, with the team speed being a problem in 2019, he was part of the reason why. Um, and so I would like to see the team, you know, let Cody Barton move to his natural position and, and be that guy because he's got a lot more speed. Uh, but that would be a very unpopular move. And I don't know what they do with that. Um, they won't make a decision based on the popularity of the move. Uh, they'll base it on football decisions. And can you see the guy who was already slow last year, a year older, worth being, being worth $10 million of your cap space? That's hard to uh, justify, especially when you have a guy like Barton, where you can save a lot of money to go with a younger player who's faster. You know what I well, mean? Let's, and, and let's, do you really lose that Well, much? I mean, let's come back to right. So let's talk about Kendricks. So Kendricks is a free agent as well, coming off an ACL, torn ACL in late December. Mm-hmm. Um, that's problematic for Kendricks because he's a free agent. Uh, 71 tackles, three sacks. But Kendricks had his own issues. Kendricks was in the bottom third of the league in missed tackles. In fact, for the first half of the year, he was leading the league in missed tackles. Uh, he still ended the year missing, you know, two out of five tackles. Uh, yeah, that's bad. Which which is nuts. And, and he wasn't good in coverage either. And he wasn't that good in coverage because the team asked him to drop back into situations where he's just better at, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. He just is. So then you have Barton. You mentioned Barton. Third round pick in 2019. Came on. Looked good. He looked, you know, he struggled as rookie normal struggles. But he's a guy that's got a ton of talent that the team probably wants to see what they've got and plug him in somewhere. So did and they did play get better as the year went on. Like he, he, he looked... He was okay, but he was making mistakes. He was overcommitting. Uh, you know, there was th- that he was a rookie. Yeah. He looked like a rookie. Well, the question um, is, does the team put him in a situation where they play him slightly out of position at the strong side linebacker spot and let Kendricks go? Or do they force the situation with Wright and put Barton over there? Now, Barton was a middle linebacker in college, but has played weak side linebacker and has that skill set as well. Um, strong side is a little bit out of whack for him, but he'd still be competent enough to probably do that position for the Seattle Seahawks. So that's the question, Keith. How does the team go forward with Wright, Kendricks, and Barton? Well, given that Wright is under contract and Kendricks isn't, and that Kendricks was was a disappointment. He was part of the reason why the defense was not nearly as good as anyone expected. Um and that Barton improved as the year went on. And at the end of the year, was actually playing pretty well at the strong side linebacker because it, it took him a while to really get a feel for how to, how to do that because it, it is, it's very different. It's almost like being a defensive end instead of a linebacker because you're up on the line of scrimmage, you're setting the edge, you're not 
reading a reactive, shooting a gap, trying to make a tackle. Um, so it, it is a very different thing, although in passing situations, you also drop back in coverage. So you're playing up on the line, but then dropping back. It, it, it's a weird position. There are certain people who are really built for it and do it well. Um, Bruce Irvin was especially good at that position uh, once he moved off from defensive end and moved back. But um, it, it, it's a hard position to play, and he really had to learn it at, on the, the fly. And by the end, by the playoff games, he was doing pretty well there. And I think that uh, the, the fact that you could go to the younger, cheaper player from Kendricks to Barton and possibly get better, you have to do that. And so you, you'd let Kendricks walk. Um, now, because if you move, if you, if you go, okay, Barton's natural position is middle or weak side linebacker. Let's move him off the line of scrimmage and let him do that, and, which means letting KJ Wright go. Now you still need that strong side linebacker. You're right. You still have to go, you still have to go find that. Guy. So what does the team do with the cap number that KJ Wright has that's non-guaranteed? They don't need the cap space necessarily. But if they did, his number looks awfully inviting to manipulate, whether they cut him or renegotiate, whether they roll some of that money into guaranteed money that takes it off, you know, that, that makes that number adjustable is what I'm saying. So $10 million is a lot for a guy in KJ Wright's yes. Um, Here's what I would do. Whether you're not, not what the CX would do. I would go to KJ Wright and go, we can't do this. It's, that's too much. But let's give you another year. So rather than a one-year deal with, with ten million, because that's what you have left, let's make it a two-year deal worth fifteen. Split the money up evenly over both years. Um, so his number goes from ten million to seven and a half over both years, um, and they can still get out of it after a year because you put you don't have any any of the guarantees in year two. So if he comes out and is bad. In, in 2020, because the, uh, the you know the age finally age and injury finally catches up with him, you cut him and let him go. But if you if he comes out and is KJ right and is fine, you keep him because that's a, a more palatable number. Or maybe it's not 15. Maybe the number is 14 or 13. And, and you say we'll give you it'll be more money, but it's going to be over two years instead of one, and it'll but we'll guarantee everything for the 2020 season signing bonus. Uh, to, to make the deal and your entire salary, we're going to guarantee everything. You're going to be on the team in 2020, and we'll just kick this can, um, you know, down the street for a year. And yeah, worry about don't it take then. money out of KJ's um, pocket, but make the make it more no. palatable on the books. Yeah, and and so so you you do that, and you go that, and and I if I was KJ Wright and I, I'd look at that and I'd go, you know, given his age and his injury and whatever you go, that's money. Well, there's non guaranteed. Yeah. There's non guaranteed money right now. So you would take the guaranteed money, obviously. Yeah. You're going to guarantee me like eight or seven and a half, eight million million this year. Uh, where right now I have two and a half and I could get cut. I, I'm taking that guaranteed money. Um, and not only that, but it gives him, okay, maybe there's another year on the end. And, and you set it up in a way for the team where, like, if he plays well, he sticks around for another year. You're, you're okay paying him um, for another year. But if he doesn't, you know, you move on at that point. You, you already have a guy. So um, I, would, I would do that route with him. Let Barton be the, the pre- presum- presumptive strong side linebacker. 
and then you are still in search of another linebacker. You you got Barton last year. You need another one this well, you year. Have Bur- you, you have Burke Irvin, and he's a little bit undersized overall and not sure mm-hmm. exactly if he has the ability to step in and be a starter in the NFL, um, mm-hmm. but he is there. Griffin's listed as a linebacker as well. Two, two undersized guys that are unlikely to see time actually playing linebacker. Um, yeah. Burke Irvin's obviously a special teams guy and he'll probably remain that. Um, so same with Griffin. He's a special teams guy and he'll, he'll get most of his playing time there a little bit as a pass rusher. Neither of those guys look like a long-term solution at linebacker. Uh, Griffin's speed is enticing to possibly play the weak side linebacker um, in KJ Wright's spot. Uh, you know, if, if KJ Wright were to get hurt or whatever, uh, just to see what he's got and see if he can if he can make that jump and do it. But you know, Burke Hervin's way undersized, and um, I just don't see him as, as a long term thing. You're right; he's there. You give him a shot. You go, hey, let's see what you got. Um, can you step up and do it? But you, again, you don't count on it, right? You don't just assume that he's going to make this massive jump and 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 become good. Um, go get yourself a fourth linebacker. Go whether you draft another this next year's version of Cody Barton, or whether you go sign a um, someone in free agency who can come in, bring a guy like remember Austin Calatro a year ago who looked like he was going to be the fourth linebacker that's on the team with Cody Barton being the fifth, um, but then Cody Barton showed that he could play all three positions, um, and that made uh, Calatro expendable. Uh, so they let him go. But go find go find him. Is he available again? Bring him back. If he's not, go find another version of him uh, to be your fourth linebacker in your rotation so you've got backups. And you roll with Wright, Wagner, Barton, whoever this fourth person is, and you let the younger guys and uh, some maybe uh, some undrafted free agents or uh, late-round pick or whatever be – um, fight for the re- remaining jobs. So let's move to the secondary. Uh, we're already at an hour. We've got uh, quite a bit more to cover, so let's hustle through this. some of this stuff. Um, safeties. Uh, Bradley McDougald uh, had a solid year uh, uh, in the second half of the year after Diggs arrived. Mm-hmm. The first half of the year was a hot mess because of Thompson. So why don't you lead the safety discussion, take it where you want to go, figure it out how we're going to move <laughs> forward. And um, are we fairly resolved there? Do we have a couple of spots on the backside of that group that, that need to be filled? I actually, I like the safety group. I mean, Diggs, yeah, he was a, a mid season trade. And usually those are guys that are, um, don't have a lot of team control left, but Diggs has two more years. He's that was be a great trade. I mean, we gave up a fifth round, 2020 fifth round pick. Um, and we also got Diggs plus a 2021 seventh round pick back. So we essentially, mm-hmm. we gave up a fifth round pick for, for Diggs with team control for essentially two, two and a half, half years. years. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. I mean that that was an that was an incredible. I have no idea what Detroit was was thinking. And that was that. a mid season trade. I mean that's that's a that's a mid season deal where it's, you know, he gave us a he gave us what he could give us, you know, for the for the regular season. I mean, mm-hmm. he came in injured, so the team had to sit on him for two or three weeks to get him fully healthy. But man, when he came in, dude, he was the difference. He allowed the yeah, defense he, to function the way that it's supposed to. Yeah, and he but he's never been through a training camp where they learn the defense and they practice and they work on their communication and they, everyone gets a hundred percent of it. He never did that. He came in mid season as an injured player 
um, learned everything, you know, watching tape and, and, go, and watching practices. Um, finally got a chance to practice it for a couple of days, went out and played it, and was a massive difference maker. I mean, he only played in five regular game. season games. Five regular yeah. season games, 21 tackles, three interceptions, three pass defense, and a forced fumble while he was in there, plus allowed the team to play single high again. Everything kind of mm-hmm. went back into kind of normal mode and allowed McDougal to be the normal good player, solid player that he was. He was just a huge difference maker. Oh, yeah. And and the fact that it wasn't like they gave up a fifth-round pick for Diggs trying to make an impact this year and get into the playoffs or make a run in the playoffs or anything like that. No, they give up a fifth-round pick to get a guy to do those things and be here next year and be here the year after that as well. Uh, on, a, again, on a very I, reasonable you know contract. Yeah. Uh, I have no, no idea what Detroit was thinking. Yes, I get that they had younger players. They had, a, they had a pretty deep safety room and all of that. But Diggs is a difference maker. And um, to give up on him and to give the Seahawks, give him to Seattle for a fifth round pick for two and a half years, that was, makes no sense. Um, but everything starts... The, the, the entire safety conversation starts with Diggs because he's the guy. He's going to be at the back end. He's going to be the starter. He makes Tedrick Thompson uh, expendable, like non, a non-factor, <laughs> more than expendable. He's a non-factor. He's not even in the conversation for the um, for the 2020 roster at this point. He has a long way to go to be considered for the 2020 roster. Um, same goes with Delano Hill, although Hill. Yeah. Uh, Hill made a few plays and looked okay. He never really lived up to no. uh, what the team wanted from him, uh, in part because he is kind of the defensive version um, of CJ Procise. It just seems like whenever he gets an opportunity to come in and play, he gets hurt, and uh, which is really unfortunate. I thought it was I a bit odd that they decided to go there. with Hill over Blair on a couple of different occasions. Uh, this season when Blair, when, when yeah. given the opportunity, in fact, Blair had a couple of starts and one start, he had 11 tackles and led the, led the yeah. team and pro football focus rated him really high. And all of a sudden Diggs comes and Blair disappears. And then when, uh, when the opportunity came up again later in the year, Hill got, got the, the nod instead of Blair. So it was a tough year for Blair. Yeah. Uh, but I expect big things from Blair going forward. And I, yeah. it, it does to me make Hill and Thompson, expendable which means there's opportunities there to backfill those Mm -hmm. so you've got um you look at that you've got um mcdougall who should be back uh and in the mix at strong safety he might be a late uh late camp cut for salary cap reasons if blair just blows him out of the water and you're like okay we can go with a younger player um you know, cause since we're only talking about a backup. Well, where does the team but, need and want to go with Blair? You know, there was a lot of talk there where they were looking at him as just a free safety. Um, now you're mm-hmm. talking maybe possibly he could play strong safety as well, which he has experience playing. Yeah. I mean, he was a strong safety. They were trying to, they were, they, they said at one point that he was committing to just free safety because they were, they were working so hard at getting him acclimated to being able to play both. Um, so they were like, okay, we're just going to have them commit to free safety and, and do that because we they know. They, and that they was knew. right before, that was a week, that statement came out a week before they traded for Diggs. Yeah. Um, but at the time, they knew Tedrick Thompson was 
not a guy you could depend on for anything other than being bad. And so they're like, <laughs> okay, let's stop. Let's stop this. Let's let's stop this this uh, attempt yes. at getting right. Blair ready to play both positions. Let's get him ready to play free safety so we can get him out there on the field because anything's better than Tedrick. Um, and then it turned out that Quandre Diggs was available for a fifth round pick, and they go done. Uh, and, <laughs> right. and that, and that changed, and that changed the equation. So now Diggs is out there, um, as you know, as the, he's free safety for the next two, next two years. And, and what do you do with Blair? Well, Blair was really promising and he was a strong safety in college. He likes being strong safety. He's, uh, that's where his mentality is. That's kind of what he does. Um, he's going to be in the mix at strong safety and he's like McDougald in that he can play both, but he wants it. Wants to and is better at strong safety. The nice advantage is that he is kind of like a Bradley McDougal clone in a sense, that he can play both free and strong. It eliminates the need to keep one of Hill or Thompson on the roster. And you get another guy that can come in and is is one or the other. And and um, mm-hmm. you know, and then you've got a Mahdi that's like a backup, backup, backup option at free safety as well. So maybe you bring a, a, a draft a strong safety, you know, down the line. I don't know. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, because because you've you've got Diggs at free safety, you've got McDougald who can play both, but he's more of a strong safety. You've got Blair who can play both, but he's more of a strong safety. But either of those can fill in at free safety if Diggs get hurt. So you've got Amadi who can play free safety in a pinch. You're missing one guy. You go now. Go find yourself a special teams player. Yes, perfect. Um, Someone, someone that can come in and be a special teams ace and give you something at, um, you know, especially at free safety, uh, if in, in a pinch if you need it, um, a guy that that would make sense would be uh, Shalom Luani, who was with the team a year ago, came in, was with was with the team uh, in training camp, was actually kind of a surprise that he didn't make this the squad um, coming out of training camp. Yeah. Um, but a guy like that, a young player, special teams ace, who can be your third option at free safety, and you know, in case all hell breaks loose in terms of injuries uh, in the safety position. But you don't need that because you've got three guys that you can put any pair together. You can go uh, Diggs and Blair. You could go Diggs and uh, McDougald. You could go McDougald and Blair. You can have any combination of those guys playing safety. So your fourth option or your fifth option may never see the field as a safety. That's a nice spot to be in because you have guys. It's a much improved uh, situation compared to the beginning or this time last year uh, in 2018, for sure. Um, Corners. Uh, This is the last group. We can talk about kicker, punter, long snapper if you want at the end, but um, corners. So we have uh, Griffin and Flowers. Then we had King and Thorpe and a guy named Ryan Neal that I don't even know about. Um, So let's talk about uh, Griffin for a half second. Pro Bowl year. Uh, He was an alternate. uh, Ended up playing in the Pro Bowl, which is awesome. Uh, His his 2018 Pro Football Focus grade of 50.7 was 111th out of 112 corners mm-hmm. and in 2019 his grade uh, improved to 77 overall that includes you know everything uh in that equation flowers conversely was a little higher last year this year he had a grade of 53.9 which is not much better than griffin's grade in 2018 so um one struggled last year improved this year 
One was pretty good last year as a rookie and struggled this year. What do you think about that duo? And does the team feel like they need to improve that spot, especially Flowers' spot in 2020? And by the way, Flowers was a great tackler still. He had 82 tackles, fourth in the NFL from the corner position. Yeah. So um, Flowers is a good tackler, and he's not a bad corner. I mean, his he he didn't play great for most of the year. He he definitely struggled, but his struggles in 2019 were very similar to Griffin's struggles in 2018. These are guys that come in and impress as rookies and then struggle to make that transition in the second year to when they're expected to do more, where they really have to, um, they're not, nothing's being simplified for them anymore. Nothing's being given to them. Nothing's being gift wrapped uh, by the defensive coordinator. Now you're being expected to be the guy. And Griffin uh, struggled when that became him in 2018. But you know what? Over the course of the year, there was some improvement. He came out of it. He used the offseason well. He came out in 2019 and was the guy that they wanted him to be. The same exact thing happened to Flowers this year. He went from playing really well in a sheltered role in um, 2018, and 2019 wasn't friendly to him because they were asking him to do more. They were asking him to have a bigger role to make uh, to think more and to do more stuff. And it wasn't nice to him. Yeah. And I think two things really impacted him. The, the inconsistent play of Tedrick Thompson as per, yeah, right. And then the inconsistent Mm -hmm. pass rush that we had makes it really difficult to cover guys longer than three or four seconds in the, out there in the back end. And that's what the team was asking flowers and Griffin to do this year. Now Griffin had more success than flowers, but uh, Griffin wasn't targeted as much. Flowers was targeted a lot. Um, I expect improvement there. I think the team probably mm-hmm. sticks with that. I think they go ahead and draft another corner. They're going to need one anyway. I mean, Thorpe was injured, more of a special teams guy. Um, King didn't give you really anything. And that's the end of the group. They need, I think, at least some competent rotational players back there. A guy that could play either uh, left or right side um, on the outside would be nice to have a guy that can could actually play corner instead of a guy like Thorpe. And then uh, they need to settle that nickel spot, Keith. Amadi yeah. uh, looks like the the guy, but the team doesn't yet have confidence in him to, in order to play him full time there. So what do they do well, with when that they, nickel when spot? They did finally, when they did finally give Amadi playing time, it took until the playoffs before Amadi got um, significant playing time at nickel corner spot. And Pete Carroll came out and was like, Oh yeah, it was a mistake. We should have been having him play earlier. <laughs> and we're like, "Are you kidding yeah, me?" We've been talking Me on and the you podcast. on this yeah, show since have August. been talking about this for months, <laughs> for months. Not only since August because we knew it was coming, but even once you know, they're like, "Okay, they're going to go with the veterans. Let's see what happens." Whatever you know, King was going to get some opportunities. He did. He looked okay. Uh, Jamar Taylor got um, uh, a lot of snaps early on, and he looked awful. awful. And we're like, and we're like, okay, you're, you're, we're into October, and we're like, just play the kid. Yes, he will make mistakes because he's a rookie and he'll make mistakes and all rookies make mistakes. But you know what? Amadi, with his mistakes, is better than what Taylor was giving you. Just play the dang kid. And so you and I kind of just like every week we brought him up. And the team was like, nope, nope, nope. Well, in, in addition to that, 
in addition to that, the team bullheadedly stuck with its 4-3 base defense 65, <sighs> 70% of the time. So that nickel spot wasn't even in play, uh, um, you know, as much as it probably should have been. So scheme-wise, yeah, and- Keith, going forward, what do you think happens with that experiment? Uh, that experiment needs to die. Um, and it needs to die a slow and horrible death that was the uh, 2019 season, and it needs to go away and never come back. Um, because the league has become increasingly a passing league. You're seeing more three- and four-wide receiver sets than you've ever seen in the past. You're seeing more shotgun snaps than you've ever seen in the past. You're seeing more uh, passing plays per, you know, as far as run pass ratio than you've ever seen in the past. The nickel is the new. Well, and I think Amadi is actually the ideal guy, the ideal guy in a Pete Carroll defense to play nickel because he's a good tackler. He's an experienced, good tackler that sticks his nose in there. He's, he's a playmaker. He knows how to punch the ball out, all that kind of stuff. So for me, you put a guy like that in the nickel spot for the Seahawks as opposed to Kendricks or somebody like Kendricks dropping back into coverage, it's a much better situation overall for the Seattle because you still have a playmaker who can make who can tackle. Um, it's not mm-hmm. like you're giving up that when you go into the nickel with, with a guy like Amadi. Yeah. So you, you- – uh, to me, you kind of have to go that way. But you were right when you said you have to go find another corner. You can't go into a season with three cornerbacks. What if somebody gets hurt? You, and that's what they did this last year. They went into the season with uh, Flowers, Griffin, and King. And you know they had to go find someone. They found Jamar Taylor, who was terrible. Um, and then they never really wanted to give Amadi snaps. But when they did, they go, oh, my God, I can't believe he was so good. And we're like, seriously? Like he was been that good from the, from the beginning. We saw it in training camp. We saw it in the preseason. We knew he was he could do it. But yet, the, Pete Carroll seems surprised at how good Amadi yeah. played. Well, I Whatever. thought there were two, there were two or three uh, failed situations going into the year that we knew that were failed right away. The Tedrick Thompson deal at free safety, Ugh. right? And we you knew had, that, the, and you had Blair. And you had Blair sitting there. Right, and so you knew that was the problem going into the year. You had Mm -hmm. the Jamar Taylor situation at nickel, which we knew was going to be a problem. And And we had 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 Amadi there ready to play. Yeah, and you had Amadi. And then you had Ansa as you counting on an Ansa to be your starter at the edge rusher position, Mm -hmm. knowing that you had problems there. Um, that if yeah. it didn't work, the, you were going to have serious problems, and all and three of those problems. issues were ended up being serious issues. And the defense sucked yep. because of it all year because it was too late to really make adjustments. Here's the thing: is they could have made the adjustments. They could have played Blair because when Blair played, he was a difference maker and he was good. They could have played him. They chose not to. They chose to stick with Tedrick until Diggs was ready, and that was a mistake. They didn't have to stick with Jamar Taylor. They could have played Amadi. Um, and the defense would have been better, but they chose to stick with Taylor yes. and Kendricks. Um, yes, and instead of playing Amadi, and that was a mistake. At Ansa, what other option did they have? Yeah, I know. Collier, Collier was either hurt or ineffective. They didn't have. They drafted else. the wrong guy. So the the problem started when uh, you know when a they made the decision to get Ansa, and then b they didn't. They didn't uh, draft a hedge for Ansa. They mm-hmm. drafted a hedge for the other position, Clowney. Now, they end up getting Clowney September 1st, right? Mm-hmm. So they really went into the season with no, no actual 
uh, solution for pass rush all the way until September 1st, Keith, you know, which was yeah. really confounding to me. I mean, that was, and, and, and that with a team where your window of opportunity to go to the Super Bowl is wide open. That, that was a bit frustrating, I'll have to say. Yeah, because they would, you know, they had Anta as the, um, you know, he was supposed to be the guy. And you're right, Collier was the hedge on the other side because if, if, um, if Green, Green wasn't yep. ready, it, it wasn't ready, you know, you've got Collier. You, one of those two guys was going to be the thing. And instead, like you got something out of Green, but you got nothing out of Clowney. Or sorry, you got nothing out of Ansa, but you traded for Clowney, which limited Green's yes. <laughs> um, production too because they play the same position. So now you've got three guys in the same position, yes. one of which is Collier, who ended up being ineffective, but nobody on the other I side. Agree. You've got Ansa and no one. If they had known they were going to get Clowney, or that was in the play, then they should have drafted a speed yes, rusher. They should exactly. have drafted the hedge, the person who could have hedged against Ansa and come in and been... That right. guy, when Ansa was turned out to be a, a and bust, here we are. You still have the rookie. To and play. here we are at the yeah. end of January in 2020, and we're talking about how do we solve that? So, and and that's the answer. The answer is more speed. You mentioned at the top of the show, the team needs mm-hmm. more speed on defense, and I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, they're going to yep. throw money at it this year. They're going to throw draft picks at it. You're going to see probably three or four new guys out of nine on that defensive line. And they're gonna, yep. and all of them are gonna be able to have some speed and playmaking ability because they're they're not yep. gonna go into the season without throwing everything they got at it. That's just yeah. the way so Pete Carroll see, is. You're gonna see some money spent on the defensive line because that's how Pete Carroll is. Um, you know, we everyone's talking about Clowney because he was the guy that was here. He kind of wants to be here. His comments, like he loves. He loved the locker room. He loved the culture. He loved Seattle. Um, I would. I actually expect him to be back. Um, but what do you do on the other side? You're gonna. You, whatever. Whatever your high draft pick is, it's gonna be a pass rusher. It's gonna be someone who's gonna be on the other side. You're also gonna spend money yes. on that position. Yes. You're gonna go get a guy. It might not be. Yeah, because a, you're gonna hedge that draft uh, pick. Then you're gonna hedge that. It's not gonna be seventeen million dollars a year for for Fowler, but it might be twelve million dollar a year for um, Shaq Lawson, the guy from. Yeah, or, or the you know the guy from uh, Atlanta, and um, you know to, to bring in you know another veteran, I get a younger veteran who has that speed and can get to the quarterback. You're going to you're going to throw money at the position. You're going to throw draft picks at the position. You have to fix the pass rush more than anything on the team, more than the offensive line, more than the secondary, more than anything. You have to fix the 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 pass rush. That's where it starts. That's where it ends when it comes to improvement. Everything else you do is meaningless if you don't fix your defensive line. So let's end on that because that's awesome. I, I totally agree with that. And I think everyone listening does too. So um, I don't know what we're doing next week. We haven't even talked about it yet, but we'll come back with a great show for you. Um, I'm Bill Alfstead on Twitter. I am at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. The show is at Hawks Playbook. The website is changed its name from Hawks Playbook to Seahawks Playbook. Uh, so it's SeahawksPlaybook.com where you can find all the shows. You can subscribe from our website. Uh, we've got all the, uh, the podcast links on there to Apple or iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, CastBox, others, etc. Um, so until next uh, week, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks.
Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Phil is at NWCHawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week. And go Hawks.